0: You are listening to That'll Preach, a weekly segment on the Four Oaks Midtown podcast. We are pushing the envelope on culture and theology. My name is Brian, and I lead the College of Ministry and Adult Education Ministries at Four Oaks Midtown. I am joined by Paul Rezkala, the professor, the philosophy extraordinaire, PhD student at the Florida State University.
1: How am I all of those things? How am I professor and PhD student? I don't know. Makes, I'm going to get like you're all the, these complaints. You're, you're the philosopher.
0: You tell me. <laughs> Uh, But uh, do you hear those sirens? Yes. (laughs) We are recording from an undisclosed location in a bunker, (laughs) hiding from... (laughs) There's a bunch of police helicopters around us. So this may be our last...
1: Helicopters don't have sirens. Mm,
0: These ones do. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) we are uh, in the middle of a series called ODG, All Dead Guys. We're trying to take... uh, We're trying to introduce some church history into... Uh, your lives into the church through interesting topics. So we want to talk about, uh, we, we, we had episodes where we talk about love and we recruited St. Augustine to talk about love and desire. Mm-hmm. And we talked about God. Who is God? How do we know God? We brought in Thomas Aquinas to help us with that. So today we're going to talk about prayer and we're going to recruit John Calvin. The one and only. The one and only, which might sound strange because that's not exactly what he's known for. But John Calvin has some incredible stuff on prayer. Very right. practical, very pastoral, and just wonderful, wonderful stuff. But prayer, really tough. It really is hard to do. Really, really hard to make a practice of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think one of the reasons prayer is so hard is because when you do it, you know you're supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. But you don't feel like anything's happening yeah. while you're doing it. Yeah. Or maybe you do, but it's not consistent. And so it's always this you know, it's a little elusive when you feel like, am I really praying? Is God really hearing me? What's going on Mm. with that?
1: Yeah. There's this interesting passage actually in C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters where- Great book. Great book, oh yeah, fantastic. Where the elder demon is writing to the rookie demon and tells him, when you're tempting a Christian to not pray, um, don't tempt him to not pray. Instead, tempt him to, when he's praying, to focus on his feelings. Make him feel like he has to focus on feeling forgiven and feeling like God is close, and feeling like God is on his side. And then when those feelings don't manifest, make him feel depressed that those aren't there. So it it captured this worry of like, sometimes when we pray, there's no feelings there. Um, But the point is that we shouldn't emphasize those feelings. And I think Calvin's going to have a lot to say on what exactly the importance of prayer is going to amount to if it's not feeling forgiven or feeling God's closeness, but it's something more robust and objective. It reminds me of Star Wars, like when Luke
0: it, you know, or like Yoda or
1: anyone, whenever they use
0: the force, it's like search your feelings <laughs> and, you know, kind of reach the Zen state and then start things will start to levitate in a weird way. I'm like, that's my reference point for prayer. Like you just sit there and you, you some, some kind of mystical thing is supposed to happen or, hmm. or I, I don't know. And, and you, cause you're so used to going, if I feel it, then it's working. If I don't feel it, it's not working. And right. then even the idea of what does it mean for prayer to work? We need to unpack that and Mm -hmm. think about that. And Calvin is really, really, really helpful on that. Now, when we talk about Calvin, a lot of, depending on who you're talking to, a bunch of things will pop up. Predestination, election, Mm -hmm. Calvinism, (laughs) the dark arts, right? (laughs) And so prayer, and you're talking about a guy who everyone associates with high view of God's sovereignties, control over all things. Now he's talking about prayer and you kind of think well it's that classic question why pray if God is sovereign and uh wh- or why pray at all if God already knows what we need why yeah, yeah, even, yeah. is this an exercise of futility is it <clears throat> an illusion <clears throat> why why even tell God what's going on in our lives <clears throat> how would you along with Calvin answer that
1: well just to give you Calvin's direct answer he makes it nice and simple he says there are two reasons to pray even though God knows what we need the first is praying is or at least partially for our own good. So when we adore God when we petition God in prayer, um, it reminds us that all good things come from God. It changes the way we look at the world. Um, it's very difficult to be selfish when you're praying for other people, for example. So prayer does have that kind of transformative um, dimension to it. When I pray, when I focus on God's bigness and I, I, I'm, I approach him in reverence, it reminds me of who God is. And when I pray for other people, it moves my attention from myself to other, it kills my selfishness. So there is this dimension of like, we pray because it builds us up. It makes us more like Christ in recognizing our dependency on God, our smallness um, in our obligations and duties to other people. So there's that part of it. The other part is that God enjoys and delights having us uh, work with him in the process of making creation better. Um, so you can imagine like, A mom who's uh, baking a cake or something, Um, her little two-year-old, three-year-old, well, two-year-old, who wouldn't do that, five-year-old comes up and wants to help her bake the cake. She can bake the cake perfectly on her own. She doesn't need help, but she'll put the stool up. She'll put a little piece of dough there for him to play with. And uh, in in doing that, she delights in him helping her make the cake. There's something like beautiful in that process of the child working with the parent. So... God enlists us and gives us the privilege of being able to work with him and to ask that he renews our hearts, that he renews people's hearts. When we pray for someone's salvation, when we pray for healing, when we pray for justice, when we pray for all these kinds of things, God is bringing us and inviting us to help him um, actualize his means of grace in the world.
0: Yeah, Calvin, really, he frames all of prayer in the context of the relationship of a father and his children. I mean, he brings that up over and over again. And that's how we're supposed to view it. That that prayer, you know, God could just do everything, but he wants a relational aspect. Mm. He wants us to learn what it means to know him, to pray and see him answer it. And in seeing him answer it, know more deeply his love, his care for our lives, his control over our lives. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's the purpose of prayer. When, when Calvin talks about why we pray, like you mentioned, I mean, it, Essentially, God promises us things in his word. Mm -hmm. He speaks and he tells us what he's like and he tells us what he promises to us. Prayer is how we grab those promises, how we experience what we know. And Calvin says you can't get this stuff from a syllogism. You can't just like break Mm -hmm. down the logic and write an equation and understand that you can trust God. You actually have to trust him that prayer is a way that we learn what it means to love God and to trust him. Mm. And uh, Calvin seems to be a man of deep prayer. Calvin views prayer as the way that we grab onto the things that God promises. So we can't just abstractly read his word. And, you know, it, 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 he's not just, it, these aren't just a, a bunch of abstract philosophical things we believe, but right. we're actually supposed to come to God mm. and see him answer our prayers and see him uh, care for our lives and see him, Know our concerns and answer them and, and and help us in those ways Calvin has four really really strong uh, rules for prayer hmm. he gives them in, in in his institute so one of Calvin's big works is the Institutes of the Christian religion, which really was a book that he wrote for the common people he didn't write it to be this academic thing for you know brainy people he wanted Christians to have a comprehensive outline of what it means to be a Christian. And one of those things that he talks about is prayer. And his prayer section, he outlines those four rules. And so I figured it'd be nice to kind of go through them. Uh, The first rule of prayer, if you want to grow in prayer, if you want to know how to pray correctly, is to pray in reverence, Hmm. right? To come before God, understanding that this is the creator. This is the all-powerful, sovereign holy God. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not a creature like us. Right. This is someone who can affect change in the world. Somebody who is the reason the world exists and is sustained. And so coming before God with reverence, essentially knowing who you're talking to is so crucial for having the right attitude. And Calvin is really strong on that. Having the right attitude in prayer, Mm. not being flippant, not being distracted by all the different things in your life that aren't as important as who you're approaching Mm. and uh, so there's some work Mm. before we get into prayer that we need to do by settling our minds and going i'm coming before it's a throne of grace but it's still a throne
1: yeah and there's there's like you mentioned there's like a a posturing or like a pointing of our hearts in a certain direction um this is one reason why people kneel or raise their hands when they pray it's it's one way of like manifesting with your body um the the attitude of your heart one of Humility, um, when you kneel before the creator of the world, if you raise your hands up, you acknowledge that God is, is above you, beyond you, um, those sorts of things. And so reverence is even taught in the Lord's prayer. So Jesus starts out the Lord's prayer with, um, our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So this adoration, this acknowledgement of who God is in his rightful place, um, that attitude shapes how we pray. And if, if that part is missing, then our prayers can end up being Selfish, or um, they can pose other problems as well.
0: What did Calvin say? Uh, put your hands in the air if you a true <laughs> if you a true prayer. Prayer.
1: Actually, that's pretty good. Put
0: your hands in the air <laughs> if you're a true prayer.
1: <laughs> oh man, he's like he's glaring at you. From that wasn't Calvin. Right I know Calvin. Yeah,
0: I know. But reverence. Yeah, your attitude. That what was a totally weird a transition. Yeah. yeah, what a terrible transition. <laughs> but we're all learning. Uh, but yeah, I think that that's that's an important. And even when how you structure a church service. Or, mm. you know, do you want to, is, is it an appropriate mood for somebody approaching God? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, just anything from the way in which, you know, uh, you, you think sometimes it's it's looked down upon for people to have in public prayer, like a written prayer. Mm. But if you think about it, if you're addressing the president, you're going to want to make sure you know what you're going to say. Mm. You don't want to just kind of off the cuff do it.
1: Yeah. yeah and yeah. so
0: there is a kind of sense of weightiness to go, no, we we re- really believe God exists, that he mm. hears us. We really believe he is who he says he
1: is. Yeah. Calvin actually explicitly uh, condones and um praises these kinds of written formal prayers. Right. The problem he thinks is just when you pray a prayer without faith or without meaning, right. which could be done with spontaneous prayer or formal prayer. Right. Like, you can pray spontaneously and it not come from your heart and it not come from faith and it come just cause you want to show off how amazing of a prayer you are. Yeah. God doesn't care whether the prayer was written beforehand or whether it's, it's spontaneous. God cares about your attitude, your posture, and if it's coming from a place of faith.
0: And you need to really know who God is to have that proper reverence. Sure. Yeah. And that's where theology comes in. Yeah. Another rule he has is a sense of dependence or a, a lack of self-sufficiency that mm. you really have to come to God going, you don't provide this for me i won't have it yeah and it's a sense that that's true for anything Mm. god is the source of everything every good thing that we have right and so he uses the illustration of if you imagine if you're a person who doesn't think you're a sinner Mm. and you pray for god's mercy or grace or forgiveness well then you're not really you don't really want it exactly you don't see your need Mm -hmm. so you actually have to go to god with a deep sense that you're really his child. You're a child unburdening himself to his father. That's that's actually something Calvin says, which is mm. a great picture. That you're a child who goes, this isn't my house. I, I depend on you for my food, for protection, for everything. You really have to recognize your absolute neediness mm. for your prayers to come from a genuine heart. And that's part of reverence.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. I mean, Calvin even explicitly says, those who don't invoke God under urgent necessity are no better than idolaters. Meaning... If you don't see all of God's good things in your life as coming from God as grace, um, if you don't see God's provision as necessary in your life, then you're an idolater because you've basically removed God from the place, from the foundation, the source of your security, and you've made these other things the source of your security, these idols. Um, If you think that your own hard work has given you your status or your livelihood or your family, instead of seeing those as gifts from God, you have basically made those things and idol, And and you've put yourself in the place of God, which is why sometimes God, to humble us and to actually for our own good, will remove the things that we've become dependent on so that we become dependent on God. C.S. Lewis talks about how God whispers in our pleasures and shouts in our pains. He, he makes himself known to us in the times of most great distress when we don't have the things that we can normally fall on and feel a sense of security in. Um, sometimes God will do that to us to remind us of our sense of dependence on him. And that's actually a deeply good thing.
0: And that's part of the, again, the father, the father, child
1: Mm. context,
0: because a father will do that. He will discipline his children, Mm -hmm. not out of hatred, but out of love so that they grow, they cultivate a sense of deeper dependence. Mm. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's part of God's good character that he would do this. So we wanna be reverent, we wanna approach him for who he is, we wanna be dependent, we wanna mm-hmm. actually have a sense that we really need what we're asking for. Right. Right? We really even the small thing like God, you know, I need to I really need your help to be better at prank. Mm-hmm. You know I mean that's right, you you actually have to come from that place of dependency. So wherever you're actually you actually are, mm. not where you think you should be at this point, but where you actually are, that is the spot, that's ground zero for where you start. Because that's from, you're starting from the place where you're actually dependent upon him, and that's where genuine prayer comes from. Um, the third rule is uh, is coming with a plea for mercy,
1: mm.
0: right? Asking for mercy. Um, this is something that, again, it reminds us everything is by grace. Mm. That we don't have, uh, God doesn't owe us anything. Right? We don't have any pull with him. That the reason that he answers our prayers and hears that he cares for us is purely because he loves us mm. and he chooses to love us. Um, so mercy is a huge sense of you're not just coming dependent, but you're coming in a sense, recognizing your unworthiness.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's rec- it's not only th- coming from a place of dependence, recognizes that we need God in order to have these things and looking at it from the angle of mercy and grace shows us that the things that we need from God are things that God doesn't owe us. So not only does God give us good things and we're dependent on God for those things, we see that those things coming from God are grace and mercy. He's not obligated, he doesn't have to, he does it out of sheer love for us. And the fact that
0: he promises to do things, I mean, what the whole point that Calvin's trying to get at is, you pray not because you're worthy or that your faith is strong or that you know everything. You pray because you believe that God is good, that he really is your Mm. father, that what he has done in Christ is permanent and true. And you can be assured of it that the, that the, that you can trust the goodness of God's character. It's dependent on him. It's not dependent on whether you say the right incantation. It's not magic, Mm. right? That, you know, the fact that God already knows what we need and yet asks us to pray. It's, Meant to teach us, you know, he already knows he can provide for us, but he wants us to know that he already knows that he's all wise. He wants us to see that and mm. prayer is the way that he does it. And we come in mercy. We can go, Lord, I don't, you know, I, I am sinful. I have sinful desires. Mm. Um, so I'm not asking because I deserve anything. I'm asking because you have said that you are good and you have said that you care. Right. And I'm going to trust that even if you don't give me what I want, goodness is still there Mm. and that your no or your wait or your maybe or whatever is still a good thing because all of this is mercy Mm. i'm not owed any particular outcome that i think would be good Mm. you know i trust in your character as well um and the final thing is confidence i love this one yeah confident hope calvin's like you should expect your prayers to get answered you know and you yeah, know, that that's such a he even talks about defective faith, where he says, you know, God answers the prayers of people pagans. Who are pagans, of yeah. people who don't believe in him. Yeah, you know, yeah. people who are atheists their whole lives pray that their, you know, kid mm-hmm. gets healed and they get healed mm. and or something like that. And Calvin says it's an interesting observation where he says, Why does God do this? Well, if he's gonna be this gracious to people who don't love him, mm imagine how willing he is to help those who do love him. Yeah, It's meant to provoke us when we see other people get blessed by God who don't love him. It's just to provoke us even more to see what, we, what more we get, what more promises he gives to his own people mm. that we're even more blessed than that.
1: And we see this in the gospel even with uh, when the centurion goes to Jesus and asks him to heal his servant. There Jesus says, well, so this person's not a Jew, first of all, this person's a Gentile, but Jesus commends the faith of this person, um, so God answers the prayer of the unbeliever, the pagan there, and if that's the case, if God's willing to treat and answer and bestow good things upon those who aren't even included in this covenant, how much more so uh, will He do that with His own children?
0: Uh, Paul Washer, you know, fiery Reformed Baptist preacher. Are you insane? He is. <laughs> he is fiery for sure. He uh, he is a great. He talks about prayer where he says. Oftentimes, you hear people say, God will, will either do something or He won't. And He says, No, I don't believe that. I believe that when you pray, God always answers. He always does something. Hmm. Right. But that something may not be what He expects. But whenever He prays, He believes God will do something in response to this prayer.
1: Hmm.
0: Right. And that He has. That that, that somehow this desire to pray this thing, if it's a good, if it's a godly desire, has come from him and he's going to answer it in some way. So he, he has that sense of absolute confidence. God heard me. He will do something. But also absolute humility going in his time, in his way. But something will happen. And I think that's a great balance. It prevents us from being presumptuous and overly attached to a certain outcome because it's humble going, I don't know what is actually supposed to happen, Mm. but it also prevents us from being falling into despair and not praying anymore Mm -hmm. by going, no, I believe that he hears me every time He's going to hear me because I'm, I'm his. And it's kind of going against that screw tape letter. You know, when C.S. was saying, if you focus just on your, on your feelings, then you're always going to be up and down because your feelings are up and down. But if you focus on the promise of who God says he is to his people, then you can consistently pray and your feelings can go up and down. Your confidence can go up and down, hmm. but you can still continue in prayer because you know, what's well, not about how much prayer energy I can muster up to make something happen. Yeah. The reason God is going to act is because of his character and his power, not because of my power. Not to say that there, there shouldn't be a sense of urgency. Yeah. Right. And sometimes maybe God does, you know, Calvin talks about how God sometimes seems like he's asleep at the wheel. We're not, not in our lives, but sometimes he does that to teach us prayer, to teach us faith, to teach us reliance. And it is kind of true. If you just sort of prayed and everything happened immediately, I don't know, you'd just turn God into a vending machine. Mm. You wouldn't have to, think about how many of the great questions in your faith, how many of the things that you have to wrestle through, how many uh, events that have forced your faith happen because you prayed for something and it and then you had to wrestle with why it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Or you suffered through something, you had to wrestle why it wasn't immediately alleviated, right. or why the solution didn't come in the way that you wanted to. Right. But you look back and you learn so much about what it means to be a Christian, hmm. so much about the gospel and, and the character of God and the faithless God and the wisdom of God, because God prodded you in that way. Yeah. He tested you a little bit. Yeah, yeah, And so we should lean into that process And not lose heart in prayer Mm. because God is changing us in that prayer.
1: Well, and sometimes also, especially in a reformed context, there tends to be like an emphasis or a kind of like falling back on the providence of God and using that as sometimes even just subconscious. We don't like totally acknowledge it, but we rely so much on God's providence that we almost are afraid to have faith that God will do things because we're. God's going to work everything out in His according to his perfect will. He's got his divine counsel. Who am I? That kind of thing. But here, Calvin is putting his stamp of approval on, no, when you go to God in prayer, you should have faith that the things you ask for, God is going to do them. And so it's a model that's used in scripture in the Lord's Prayer. We see the apostles pray like this. We see the prophets in the Old Testament praying that God will bring about certain outcomes. Um, and Calvin doesn't see that intention with God's providence at all. Um, In fact, God providentially acts in response to the prayers that we pray. Um, And so I think this is a helpful corrective, even for me. Like I find this in myself, like it's easy to be complacent. If you think, well, God is sovereign, then why do I need to even pray? Why do I need to have faith that God is going to do something? Isn't he just going to do whatever is according to his will at the end of the day? So psychologically, almost like reading Calvin has been a little bit more freeing. Like, okay, no, faith is good. Like God expects us to ask for things in confidence. Um, who of you as a parent, if your child asks you for bread, will give them a stone or a snake or that kind of thing. So God wants us to approach with confidence and with faith that He we're, he's going to accomplish the things that we ask for, but some prerequisites, some things that have to be true of us, are we asking with the right motives? Are we asking for good things? Are we asking in reverence? Are we asking out of uh, dependence? All these kinds of things. So they all work together. To form like a correct attitude when we pray, um, but even despite all that, just taking a first step and deciding to pray and beginning a prayer life—that's God looks and smiles at that as well. So um, this is this is the ideal, right? This is what we're talking about here. But any step moving towards God in faith, even if it's a tiny baby step, is good, and God rejoices and delights in that. So all of those are really good things,
0: right? And th- don't don't look at these four rules and go, "I have to ace these before right. I start talking yeah. to God." No, you. You stumble, Mm -hmm. you fall. It's like watching a kid learn how to walk. You know, God is pleased with that first little stumble, Mm -hmm. right? And so these are just guidelines, you know, to to help you grow in prayer because we're all growing in that. And if you think, this is why, and Calvin makes a point of this, all our prayers are in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. They're all our prayers only are possible because of what God has done for us. So the fact that God sent Christ, Mm -hmm. the fact that Christ died for us, it's to open the way for us to come to him in confidence hmm. to be bold, like Hebrew says. Yeah, And I love that because it shows that God wants us to pray more than we want to pray to him. He wants to hear from us more than we want to speak to him. Hmm. So God is the willing one. We're the unwilling ones, right. right? God is the one who wants to hear us and he wants to work through our prayers. I mean, hmm. like you don't sit there and you're hungry and you go, well, God is the source of my food. So I'm gonna sit here <laughs> and hope my stomach just fills up. No, you go eat, right? right? And in the same way. Prayer is an action like eating, mm. right? I mean, this is simply a means through which God works, and it's one that he commands us to work through. Even, In fact, in some cases, it's more important than eating itself, mm. Mm. right? So prayer is God's tool. That is what God uses not only to shape us, but to bring about the things mm-hmm. that he wants to bring about And God wants to hear us. And not just God the Son, but God the Father, the Son, Mm. and the Spirit. I mean, they're all working together as a trinity. Yeah, yeah. Calvin has an interesting view on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you look at where, just just even in how he writes this, he includes a section on prayer in his section on the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit uh, uplifts us and pushes us to pray for the right kinds of things. And we pray, Calvin says, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son with the power of the Holy Spirit. So when Paul talks about how the Holy Spirit groans for us Calvin says that the Holy Spirit there is actually causing us to desire and yearn and long for the things that God wants from us. So the Holy Spirit there is purifying our prayer life. It's make The Holy Spirit is making us want to pray for the right kinds of things with the right attitude, putting to death the flesh inside of us. So it's a thoroughly Trinitarian view of prayer. All members of the Trinity are respected and each is playing a different role in how prayer works. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of a beautiful, really elegant picture. I,
0: I just never thought of it that way where the Holy Spirit, he changes us. Mm. He's taking us so that we're no, we're, our sinful desires are being killed and right. our godly desires are being grown. But as he grows us in our godly desires, that's going to what? It's going to change our
1: prayers. Exactly. Yeah, And
0: it's through the changing of our prayers, that we, we start to more, ask for th- exactly. things that God would want to give us. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like God, it's like God. Uh,
1: he rigged the system to make.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it, it's it's like he he actually gives us the desires to pray for things that he wants to give us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's by the the, the spirit. So hmm. but all this it's like again, and this is Calvin's whole point. You can't figure this out in a textbook. You right. got to get into the lab.
1: And just do it. You
0: got to get in there and start praying and just start praying from exactly where you are. So some practical ways of doing that. And Calvin talks about this is we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Hmm. We've got the psalms. Right. I mean, if you want to learn prayer, if you want to be apprenticed in prayer, if you want to, you want to see how you should pray, hmm. the psalms are a great way of doing that. So taking a psalm, reading through it, and using it and putting it in your own words. Hmm. Right? You could start with Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And then think about, well, am, is he my shepherd? Am I trusting in this? What are some things I need him to take care of in my life? Right. How can he grow my confidence in him? You can start with that. Let his words guide you. Yeah. You can pray with the apostle Paul. Mm. You look at all his prayers and his epistles, shows you a great, you know, you see how kingdom centered Paul is, how centered on other people he is in his prayers. You can mm. learn from him. You can use a daily office. You can, uh, which are like these little basically written prayers for you that have been passed down through the centuries. You can
1: get the app. I use the get, app. There's it's an great. app.
0: Yeah. They're quick. That's mm-hmm. the thing. You don't have to spend five hours in prayer. Yeah. They're quick, but they're dense and they train you. They teach you how to pray. It makes mm. it a habit and you could do it morning and evening it's a great thing for families and what it does is you know it sounds kind of why we read other people's prayers but i mean it's sort of like you don't make your own clothes right (laughs) you wear clothes that people made because they fit well and 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 they're designed and by people who know what they're doing so you can use these prayers and and wear
1: them let them fit you why do you sing other people's hymns you sing other people's
0: (laughs) hymns right you don't write your own songs all the time and what it does is what happens is when you already have it written you can go oh i don't have to feel self-conscious we can just do it yep And over time, as you do it, it starts to shape you. Mm -hmm. This is great for families, I think, especially with kids who are little, who don't want to listen and, you know, who have a very short attention span. These daily offices, quick to the point, Mm. but it builds a culture in the home of prayer. And, uh, yeah, and the Lord's Prayer. I mean, there's so many ways you can start praying Mm. and uh, just pick one of them and just go. And all these things are going to start to come clear, you know. But uh, I love that Calvin, you know, Calvin, this is, I, I love showing this other side of Calvin. Yeah. He's not this cold, you know, just, you know, breaking God down. Just to, logic. Yeah, just yeah. pure logic. Mm. But his theology really impacted the way that he prayed.
1: Absolutely. And, and one of the big takeaways that we're trying to push is just, and that Calvin's really getting at is just this, just start praying. It's it's, just pick it up and and go from there. You know, it doesn't need to be perfect. Um, There's a great quote by Samuel Chadwick. He says, the one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. For the devil fears nothing from prayerless studies or work or Christian activities. He laughs at our toil, mocks our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. So prayer really is one of the most effective tools um, in the arsenal or toolkit of the Christian. And it doesn't have to be perfect. We talked a lot about like what the ideal prayer life looks like. The, the faithful step that God is going to delight in is just taking that first baby step beginning to cultivate a life of prayer even if it's five or ten minutes a day in the morning um, just begin and do that and step out in faith and trust that God will grow your pr- prayer life through that
0: step out in faith
1: <laughs> it's that's the book written.
0: right I know that's well said and just as a sum up uh, prayer is how we lay hold of everything that God promises in his word. That's how we grab onto it and experience it in our lives. God loves to give us what he promises to give us and he loves hearing us ask for it. And that's the center of prayer for Calvin. Calvin also stresses the familial relationship that we are children of God. We can come in confidence to God like children unburdening their hearts to a father who loves them. And we pray reverently, we pray pray dependently, we pray uh, understanding grace and mercy. We pray with certainty that he will answer. And we pray ultimately in Jesus's name. It's all by the gospel. It is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit working together in us, through us, to uh, not only just to have the the confidence that our prayers will be answered, but even the desires to pray itself is itself a gift of God. So hopefully this was helpful for you guys. Again, uh, John Calvin, you can find this in book three of his Institutes, this little chapter And it's a great book. Don't be intimidated that it's Calvin or anything like that. It's very readable. Calvin is very, he's he's great at concise, quick, uh, clear sentences. And I think you'll get a lot out of him. We're going to be back again next Tuesday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe and uh, let people know about this podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening.